started in the company as a uh, automation engineer or process control systems engineer. So I did uh, automatic process control for a few years and then transitioned to the science team. Um, but even before that, I was actually uh, in the Navy for a bit. So I actually was uh, in the nuclear Navy and uh, did did work with the, the nuclear power systems there on submarines and carriers. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Okay, cool. Um, my background is computer science. I'm a computer science major from Weber State University, Harvard of the West. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was fantastic. You know, uh, if the, they put money in for computer science instead of the football team, just think how great we'd be. But uh, <laughs> never did. But uh, yeah, I graduated from Weber State and uh, started doing programming, did a virtual reality programming. And now I'm kind of interested in machine learning and AI. Um, when I was at college, we did a lot of math. Uh-huh. Uh, and I've worked with uh, Dr. Richard Miller, and uh, we started talking about neurons, and uh, he got really uh, interested in it, and we started to do mathematics with neurons, and that was kind of where we were going, you know, and uh, then uh, we built a couple of back air propagating neural nets, and at the time, I, I saw this, uh, it was a polynomial uh I think it was called uh, Nestor, and it was a polynomial reducer, but it, they were saying that you could take any equation in the world, all these variables, and it, it was running on hardware, $2,000, and it could find it, you know, answers to all the hard problems, like fly a plane, drive a car, etc. But it never took off. It's like, it's like the 70s killed the idea of AI in the 90s. <laughs> Wow, but now it seems like it seems like that AI is coming back. Um, you know, there's a lot of interest, a lot of capability, yeah. and uh, better algorithms. I really like the algorithms so far. That yeah, I can see, and a lot of that's made possible with just the compute power we have now, right? I mean, it's just so much more efficient to be able to do these large compute, even on you know consumer hardware. Right, you don't need a big uh, commercial grade machine anymore to to do these these things, right? You can do them in your home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's uh, where I'm kind of thinking that AI is going to start becoming useful re- as retail. Uh, you know, you have we have uh, um, voice, we have face recognition. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was kind of like looking at that. I was reading the my little summary on Spock's <laughs> brain and uh, Star Trek. And that's actually kind of a morbid story if you actually think about it. You know, he had 24 hours to survive and he goes to a civilization where uh, the women are underneath the ground and they're being taken care of by a machine. But they have to lure in the men who the men are really savage. So it's like kind of an anti-male storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but in it, it was kind of interesting because they... They couldn't run the, they couldn't run their society just by the machine. It wasn't, it didn't have the common sense. They needed to have a human uh, element mm-hmm. there 
to keep their system stable. And it's kind of like what you were saying in human in the yeah. in the loop is that you know you just can't turn on these fancy algorithms and and just let no, them run. I mean you can't. It's I mean if you and if you look at what you know we use the term AI now and and really it's um, and deep learning is kind of really lending itself well to that idea of AI where you can essentially give you know, a, a machine, a bunch of examples, and it can actually learn the features and, you know, the, the things you want it to learn, but it's still narrow AI, right? It's still task-based. It's, it's, it's as it is right now, right? We're not into general artificial intelligence where we can just teach a machine to, to, to do human-like things, you know, that are across a broad spectrum. We're still very narrow in our tasks, but um, you still have to have that human element. You've got to, the machine learns from, the examples provided and those examples are provided by a human at the end of the day. So uh, the best way to continue to improve any kind of AI algorithm is to have that continual feedback. And I mean, if you just, for example, if you just train a model and you just let it go into production, um, eventually it will drift. Eventually things will change. Something's going to change with your input and your output's going to drift. And unless you actually are have some kind of monitoring, um, both automated and also some kind of human element into that the feedback cycle, uh, you know, the value of what you've done is, is going to degrade quickly. So yeah, that was kind of the idea that topic was to build a system yeah. kind of around that idea is that when we build these models, we have to build the supporting system, right. That that'll make this actually valuable in the long run. Well, that that's kind of the definition of uh, cybernetics. Uh, was it Weinenberg, uh, the father of cybernetics, said that if you don't have feedback, um, you don't have a, a cybernetic system. So in order for it to be dynamic, you have to have a feedback right. system in it. And uh, so there's, you know, there's these new networks where I was looking at deep learning and thinking, you know, they were talking at one point about stacking mm -hmm. networks so that, you know, you can improve your accuracy, almost like a, an uh, XG boost where you're, you know, you don't have all the data at first, but you know, you're going to get future data. And then as that future data comes in, uh, you want that to contribute to the overall mm -hmm. accuracy so you can stack them. And uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting yeah. idea. But one thing I thought about that might be dangerous is, you know, uh, you, you were mentioning about verification and, uh, you know, what, what happens when these networks, you know, we, we, we're talking a few neurons, you go to a million neurons, and then you go to, instead of one network, you have maybe a thousand networks that are interacting. How do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, what, what happens when we don't understand yeah, it? That's, that's a great, great question. I think the, the reality too is, you know, there's, we still don't understand really what's going on completely uh, in these, in these, uh, deep nets that we've created. I mean, there's definitely, there's a lot of research into that. Um, and there's things that can kind of lend its, lend an eye into what's happening. You know, you can use the grad cam approach if you got images and such. There definitely are approaches to understand, but when you start chaining, right, you start ensembling these, uh, these models together, uh, you definitely can have some synergistic effects that you weren't expecting. Um, so I think okay. that, yeah, that's, that's a good point, right? And, and what happens there, I think at the end of the day though, as long as you have an output that you're monitoring, whatever that output might be, uh, that's what you're kind of keeping your eye on, right? You maybe not, you might be concerned with what's happening in the middle of the, the networks, right? Or the how they're inter interacting with each other. But I think that, it, again, it goes back, still itself the same idea that you just have an output that you're monitoring. Um, 
I mean, and this resonates true with me. I, I mean, again, for my graduate degree, I, I studied, you know, again, process control, automatic process control, right? Which is, if you look at back, like at model predictive control, which is one of the, fund the fundamental algorithms for automated processes, it's, it's early machine learning, right? Where you're losing past uh, experience to kind of uh, understand the state of the system and then using um, that state to create, a, you know, the feedback cycle of which, what are you measuring versus where you think you are, make a correction and, and, and go with that. Um, so it all just kind of comes down to feedback. I think that is, rings true with any, uh, machine learning system, whether, or, or deep learning system. You know, uh, one, one, there was, uh, one exciting type of network that, uh, was introduced, but it didn't seem like, uh, it got shot down pretty fast, but it was called ordinary differential <laughs> equations. I, I post a couple of those articles that, uh, you can search it on YouTube. And what his uh, uh, proposal was is a continuously learning network versus one where you, you train it, uh, then you validate it, and then you put it in production. Uh, the ordinary differentials allowed for multiple pathways to be introduced and then dynamically adding additional pathways <laughs> through the data. Have you ever thought about uh, more continuous learning systems. I'm trying to kind of follow the idea here. So when you say ordinary difference equations, right, immediately I go back to like a state space system um, in process control even, right? So that's exactly what those are. Is they're linear representations of these um, systems that are nonlinear. Um, and you derive these ordinary differential equations to get yourself essentially a, uh, a state space system. But uh, from a continuous standpoint, I mean, it comes down to the process stream, the data coming in, right? I mean, uh, today, a lot of times yeah. it's like batch or mini batch type type updates. Um, but you can, you can stream stream data real time. What that means, I guess, you know, is kind of up in the air or in terms of, it can be kind of fluffy, what you mean by real time, right? There's always some kind of delay in what where you're, um, for what your input is to when you're actually getting your output. But I mean, that's that what we try to do at our work currently. I mean, a lot of the, the systems I work with are image-based systems. So we're, we're looking at images, manufacturing okay. images and making decisions automatically right. off those, off those images. And, and, and in a lot of cases, you know, the customers, our engineers, our fabs want uh, decisions fast. They need them fast because it'll could affect the, the manufacturing line. So um, we're trying to, you know, get things as close to real time as possible, but it's still kind of a mini batch approach. And, and we're not necessarily learning in real time. We're doing those predictions in real time. The learning is much slower usually because it's a lot of the, the improvement, the human loop aspect, right, is really dependent upon uh, can somebody dedicate the time every day to kind of label. And they usually can. It usually takes five or ten minutes usually to go through because we've built the system to make it really easy for them to do that. Um, but it's still learning is incremental and you don't get huge gains, especially with deep learning. You don't get huge gains from just small amounts of uh, input images, right? You've got to, it's, it's all about substantial data sizes, especially with deep learning. So. Well, you know, one um, thought I had while you were saying that is I know at one time uh, the Micron in Idaho, that's where okay. I'm from is Idaho, Boise is, uh, they couldn't figure out why there was defects on their chip. They, and what it turned out was, you know, they were, they were gathering all this data. It was a huge amount of image data, like mm -hmm. you were talking about. And they were just looking at it over time and they couldn't figure out why there was a high defect rate on these yeah. chip wafers. And 
then they had to actually go out to the production line. Uh, they realized that in one of the processes where they were putting down a wafer, that part of another solution was splashing mm-hmm. on the wafer uh, that was that was corrupting it. Uh, so it wasn't just the normal number of bad you know, chips yep. on a wafer. There was just kind of this distribution, but it took a human being to actually realize what was going wrong in the process. They they saw the numbers were bad, but they couldn't figure out, you know, where in the robotic automation that things mm-hmm. were going wrong. Until until someone actually went on site and and visual, visually could see that there was a, you know, the robot when it was setting down things was causing this uh, this impurity. Yeah. Exactly. And that's a good point to bringing up that um, it's, I mean, a lot of times, a lot of the tools that um, I think data science teams build are just, they're there to, in my case, they're there to make the lives of um, our internal customers easier, right? Um, the engineers that are making processes or, or um, pulling, you know, managing the equipment, it, it, we're, we're building tools for them. Um and, but I think there's this, there's this definitely this pipe dream that we're all chasing where we have this really smart manufacturing system where you can take a whole bunch of data from a whole bunch of different sources and you can maybe potentially find that issue you just mentioned, right? Um, there's a lot of data. We, I deal with a lot of data, but it, it's definitely, it, it's, um, I think there's definitely a lot to it. There's more to it than just chucking a bunch of data into an algorithm, right, and, and coming up with, with a solution. Um, I definitely found uh, there's a lot there's a lot more realized gains in coming up with simple kind of building block solutions where, yeah, you don't need to yeah. come up with the don't try to solve that that problem that, you know, that one the big problem at once. You, you solve it uh, individually. And if you build your 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 architecture correctly, you can build your system off of previous solutions. Right. It kind of stacks up. And then eventually you end up with that kind of idea that you were mentioned before about that, like, you know, the network ensemble, you end up with a system that's got a whole bunch of different inputs and a whole bunch of different outputs from different models, but maybe they can all be combined together to solve another problem. Um, yeah. There's a really interesting book by De Bono. I don't know if you've read, uh, no. uh, but he, he calls it uh, Mechanisms <laughs> of the Mind. I'll send you yeah. to it. Um, I, I read it. But he, his point was, is he felt like that the, the lower level, you solve, uh, you solve simple mm-hmm. tasks. And then you have hierarchy of a higher level and the, the, you know, the simple task of reporting information to the higher level. And that's where, you know, it's uh, making decisions and, uh, or, or finding yeah. trend, but yeah, you're solving these smaller problems yeah. first. Yeah. Um, I was, I was going to say, uh, what would you say? I know there's uh, one thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, there's a lot of people that are trying to get into data science. They're memorizing machine mm-hmm. learning algorithms. They're doing the mathematics. Uh, you know, and they're trying to find these niches mm-hmm. in business. What would you say to people who are, let's say, they've got double masters, maybe going on to a PhD into you know AI or machine learning? What would you say to them? Because I know you've got a lot of practical consulting experience where you've You've actually been in the business mm-hmm. doing, you know, things that are taking AI ML to yeah. production. Um, that's a really great question. I think it and it's it's it rings true to an article I was just reading this morning as well of like how the data science field is is evolving in general. 
like what the rules are, right? I mean, we hear the word data scientist a lot, but I think that that term means so many different things at so many different companies. It, you know, it comes down to what the company needs. Um, but if you're trying to, to really break into it, I think what you're trying to, it, it, it depends. So there's the, there's the type of person who's trying to get into the field. And I honestly say, I, you know, I look at my own background. I happen to have a, a master's degree that fit well with, uh, you know, understanding machine learning. And I was happened to be in a, at a place at the right time, right? I mean, th- it, there's a little bit of dumb luck sometimes in, in how people, I think, break into a field. Um, but it obviously kind of comes down to past decisions, right? Um, obviously, preparing yourself educationally is good. I wouldn't say memorizing or knowing a whole bunch of machine learning algorithms is, is extremely going to be really helpful for you. I think and something I've been seeing around a lot, especially from a lot of the local kind of AI leaders in the area um, here in Utah, uh, is that, you know, learn something really well. Like pick a pick something that you think is, you know, a area you're really interested in, right? Like natural language processing. Maybe that's really what you think is is going to help solve a problem. Maybe it's your current company or potentially that's what you want to work in. I would, I would work hard to understand that, right? And maybe leave, uh, you know, image-based approaches, you know, just kind of have a general understanding, but, you know, don't, don't go too far into it. Um, and when it comes to like actually putting things into production, so like if you look at what, what makes data science successful is the value you bring and that the algorithm or the model is only a very small part. Uh, it, I think what a lot of people are looking for is can you, can you take something, can you take a model you've built and actually turn it into something valuable, right? Can you turn it into uh, a system, an endpoint, a REST API, so, you know, something, something that someone can actually utilize and use? Uh, and can you build the system necessary around that thing to support it? Um, I think there's definitely a lot of uh, need for that. And a lot of, if you want to get into that and you want to do that, you need to understand the whole process end to end from defining that problem to building up the model, to building up the support structure for that. And then, you know, that's what I mean. Because, I mean, what does it mean to get something into production? You hear that word thrown around a lot, but I think it, it's different for every company in every situation, right? Production could be uh, that it's running part of uh, an ETL job. And it just kind of, and the, the model's there to um, add some additional info, insight into the data you're pulling out. Uh, or it could be that it's an endpoint and, and it's being consumed by, by internal or external customers, right? So what, you know, I think that that's it, but you got to prove, I think to some degree that you're, you're able to not only know a bunch of algorithms, but can you actually apply what you've learned and put it into a system that makes sense? I don't know. Does that ask the question? I just kind of. Yeah, no, I appreciate that because, uh, you know, I took, uh, in one company I worked for, I, I built uh-huh. a mobile app and, uh, it got basically two, two pieces of information, uh, and then it also made decisions on when to gather those pieces of information, put it on 120 uh-huh. devices. And that changed the whole company because now they were getting real-time feed on those two pieces uh-huh. of information. And uh, senior management was looking at it and uh, engineers, you know, were making sure that uh, things were working and, you know, it was a manufacturing yeah. base, but uh, it, it, impacted the company it was amazing when you took data it was always there but it was being fed by uh, yeah. paper and they moved it digitally made it real time and those real-time feeds then were affecting uh 
company because then they could see what was coming into the factory. They could adjust, you know, uh, chemicals and whatever that they were doing, you know, depending on what was happening uh, yeah. in real time. So those are, those are, that's why I think is, is amazing. We're gathering so much data, but finding those critical pieces of data that can really impact the company or it, it is. And yeah, that, that's a, that's awesome. Like an example. And, it's true. Like where I work now, we, we have so much data and, and I don't, again, data is not right. Data is like raw oil, right. And it, it or it, or it can be something useful. You have to refine it though first, right. There's some kind of process. That's ideally what those uh, machine learning and AI algorithms are there for, right. To, to help refine that, that, uh, that raw material, but really only so much of it is actually useful right now. Right. Um, and it's hard to always find that. It's not always easy to say, yeah, this piece of data is going to transform our business or this piece of data is, you know, or if we were able to do this with this piece of data or this data source or these combined data sources, uh, we could really, you know, drive some real value. So I think that's part of the science part of it, that, right? That's, yeah, a, is. that's kind of an interesting point is that I was reading that uh, in market research, you know, uh, that they don't actually want to understand what new opportunities are. They just want to verify that 80% of what they do already is uh, correct. Yeah. So they're not looking for uh, opportunity to expand or improve efficiency. They're just looking to verify that what they're doing mm -hmm. currently is, 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 uh, is still okay. You know, that things yeah. didn't change. So the trend, the trend lines yeah. didn't change, which is, really interesting because uh, that means that a lot of companies must be kind of coasting on what they've done in the past uh, and hoping that the disruption in the future can't be displacing them. You know, that there's barriers that what they did in the past is going to be good enough in the yeah. future instead of building for that future, looking at, you know, like you said, like these uh, things that you can analyze where the machine is going to add some additional value that that one to two percent additional value might be enough in their margins to make enough of a dent to put them ahead of their yeah. competitors so you don't need a you don't need 20 percent to be a winner you you only need to be maybe two to three percent on your margin to displace your competition yeah, that's, that's a oh, go ahead so, so that's why I was, I was thinking is that uh you know, uh, you, we were talking about value in the in the uh, that machine learning brings us. That's why I think that companies would invest in AI and machine learning. I, I read that uh, what is it this year? They're anticipating like seventy six billion dollars in investments in new startups. Uh, you know, and they're and they're saying, and you know, Bill Gates and a number of different people have said that if you really want to change the world, uh, build a machine that can you know, think, and when, you know, you think about like, well, what is he really saying? Is he really trying to say that machines think, or is he trying to guess at the future? And that's what I was going to finish up with you is, do you think that AI's real value is its ability to predict the future? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, I mean, there's definitely value in, in knowing something that could happen with a high probability, right? <laughs> I think that uh, you obviously can make really strategic uh, decisions if you've got 
some some piece of data that tells you uh, what could happen, uh, that, or that's li highly likely to happen, very likely to happen. But I think, honestly, I look at I look at our our own company, and I think that there there is power in the prediction, but there's also power in uh, the sourcing. Kind of like what you were mentioning, how you know we've got I've got this data now. I don't have any new sources. I have this current data, and the question is can I find the answer I want in past events with this data that could help me make a decision for the future, right? Um, or help me source a problem that I have now and help me prevent it in the future. So I definitely think that, yes, the predictive power um, is there. And I think that's kind of what machine learning was, you know, it's just what it's designed to do. But there's a lot of power in using these same types of machine learning algorithms and even deep learning algorithms to actually explore the past and understand root cause um, and understand why things happened. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, maybe to touch on what uh, Bill Gates is saying, um, I, I think, you know, building something that thinks is important. Uh, building it piece by piece is more important, right? I don't think you're going to be able to build it right off the bat. Or if so, you're going to spend a decade sink, sunk into it trying to build a massive thing. Whereas it's better to get started with smaller steps, build things that have quick ROI, but build it in such a way that you can build off it in the future. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts. Uh, cool. Well, um, our time's um, up. It went really <laughs> fast and, you know, Spock's brain got put back. McCoy <laughs> put it back. So <laughs> we, we just, Spock, Spock survived, but uh you know, it makes you kind of wonder if they didn't like Spock because, I mean, you know, they had to search for Spock. He dies there on the uh, Kobayashi Maru technique. And you know, when he's defeating Wrath of Khan, then, then they bring him back in, in Spock's brain. I think he must be, uh, must have uh, yeah. many lives. Um, I was going to ask yeah. you, uh, do you want to, uh, how do, do you have a user group that uh, you talk to, or I know so you had like a user group on uh, yeah. human in the loop. Uh, do you have like a group that, or a website that people um, can go to? I think, you know, I, I'm a pretty active participant in that machine learning Utah meetup. I, I enjoy that one. It, it, it's close to work, I have to admit, right? It's, it's, a, it's a convenience one, but it's also a great one. I think that there's a lot of good discussions that have happened there and they're still holding um, meetups uh, just online now with the current, you know, current COVID-19 situation. Um, there's also a Salt Lake City Python user group that I think is a, a great resource if you're, you know, a Python coder, want to get better at Python. I think that's a, that's a good one. And then um, just a data engineering meetup that's actually hosted by Joe Reese, who's a local business owner in the area, uh, you're in ternary data, and that's a that's another good one. So I kind of I kind of like to sit on the fence. A lot of things I like them. Obviously, the algorithm part, but I'm very heavily involved in kind of the data architecture side of things, or data engineering side of things as well. Because I think it's all it's all important to understand and, and uh, kind of understanding. I don't know if that. So those are the those are what I those are yeah, what I kind of throw my time into. You know, to kind of keep. Do you ever see yourself uh, uh, going back maybe and and doing some of the uh, work that you're doing now uh, as applied to nuclear submarines and and uh, you know the detection of any defects that could happen in the core. You there's there's definitely like and I and I know there you know I I, I keep in touch with my colleagues from the Navy still and um, one of them in particular reached out to me a little bit ago and, and was asking me what I was currently doing with deep learning because they're 
they're currently, and he's, uh, they're currently looking at things like that as well. And so I definitely think there's, there's definitely application. There's definitely, the hype is real um, in terms of what the possibilities are. I just think that a lot of companies or organizations just don't know um, how to start. Um, or they're, it's just, it's, it's, it's cumbersome and it's also risky, right? It's daunting. Uh, there's a lot of risk involved with this for potentially little gain initially. So, um, or just got to find the right people to, to get out of the park for you initially. So, but maybe, maybe there's some, maybe some opportunity in the future at the Navy. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I like what I'm doing now. It's pretty good. So. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks yeah. It's great to talk on. to you, David.